This is basically a collaborative project between um, three organisations, but also really importantly, also between um, at least five schools that we've had collaborating on this project. Um, we've got at least three of those schools currently online, Twitter feeds open, trying to hopefully see that we get some comments on our, on our, um, our, our um, hashtag as well. They've been very much part of this project from the absolute start, this ID15 project. Um, and as we go through, and we'll take you through some of the qualitative kind of findings and also some of the neuroscience findings as well, just to say they've been absolutely involved in devising the methodology being part of it and hearing the findings as well we can talk you through that as we go so um, just so you know because we're all fairly new so Oxy Insight is a qualitative um, research agency that I head up uh, we do kids we do adults um, but essentially one of the things we really try and do is collaborations and we collaborate hopefully with really interesting people from other organisations so we've got Predico Dr Erman Masurlisoy here is going to be speaking to you in a moment so Erman is Predico a partnership of neuroscientists applying academic level neuroscience um, in commercial context and our very good friend Naomi Ward who represents Connected is not here because she is imminently giving birth um, hopefully not too imminently but you know in about a week's time and um, she has an amazing organization that's basically looking to kind of create collaborations between organizations and schools um, that are mutually beneficial that are tied into curriculum goals and hopefully foster something really positive for young people and for um, businesses as well um, what I'm going to do is play you a film I'll just play you a couple of minutes it just gives you an idea of what we actually did we won't talk too much about that and then we'll jump into the findings So what we've tried to do is create a really interesting collaborative project where what we're trying to do is work with young people. So we've got this amazing opportunity to come into schools and work with young people um, and really get them to kind of steer the direction of the project. So from the very start, what we did is we did a Twitter debate, for example, um, and we gave the young people the core question, which was what is online identity all about? And we kind of stepped back and just let them go for it. And we just saw what kind of interesting threads developed. We are working with Connected, um, which is headed up by Naomi Ward, and it's a company and an organisation that really looks to try and foster young people's sense of empowerment within school, their ability to do um, greater things, and they're doing that by collaborating with commercial organisations, for example. And we're also working with Erman and Peter from Predico, who are a company of neuroscientists who are basically looking at bringing academic level neuroscience to the commercial context. I think young people really intelligent insight into the different groups of users within their peer group. You know, this group interact in this way and these are their behaviours and then you've got this group and you've got this group and really that they are the experts on, on how that internet audience is segmented. There's um, a top style of experiment in neuroscience called subliminal priming or unconscious priming and what we try to do is present words or concepts on the screen very fast so that you can't actually see it. So if he asks you, did you see that? You say no, but it can still affect your behavior. And what we're interested in is how uh, primes related to digital identity or physical identity affect how you relate information to yourself afterwards.
I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on, so I wasn't sure. Well, it was, it, was, it was quite interesting to see that my influence changed quite dramatically depending on the sequence of letters which flashed up very briefly. I didn't even get a chance to acknowledge what happened. To be honest, I have no idea what it stands for, but I think it, like, it might be something to do with how the internet or how like online life, like how it affects you and how you feel about it, and, like if it's a big impact on your life or if it's not. We were asked to research what people are like online and offline, so the difference between them. What we came up with by talking to our peers and talking to each other is offline people are, we've noticed people are a lot more shy because online you're kind of behind a screen and you can open up more. A lot of the time you don't class yourself in your own stereotypical group, a lot of the time it's other people's perception that place you within a group. Um, what I'll do is I'll take you through essentially the qualitative findings um, and what I'm going to take you through are some of the key themes that came out. So we listened to young people, we talked to them about what does digital identity mean to you and we listened to what came out and what was most important. Um, one kind of, I think, important thing to say is in the context of talking about digital landscape and all these incredibly clever kind of capabilities and platforms and devices and whatever else, at the core there are some really basic human emotions that are driving why kids do what they do online. And I think that's probably one of the messages we're going to be kind of hopefully kind of bringing out here is that these are just very real human needs and wants and they're not actually massively dissimilar to the needs and wants that we all have in everyday life in our physical lives um, and then Irma's going to take you on and kind of explore that a bit more and understand how different are digital and, per and physical identities how different are those two identities and do we need to kind of take notice of that but onto these anyway. So um, validation. Validation was one of the first kind of key themes that came out. And there were kind of two different versions of it. The first one was what we were saying is affirmation. That's basically when young people put their digital identity out there over whatever platform it is, there is a real need that when they put themselves out there digitally, they need someone to go, yeah, all right, we see you, we know you're there. They need to be affirmed. They need someone, whether it's a brand, a friend, a person, an organization, to acknowledge that they're there and they're, they're fit, they're, their identity has been put out there. Um, What's interesting is absolutely core to that is a response. If you put yourself out there and say hi to someone, whoever that hi is, you need that person to acknowledge that you are there, you've noticed that they're, you're, they're, they're, they're there. And there needs to be a response. I know on uh, yesterday on the keynote speech, there was a lot of talk about um, it, not being a, it not being a monologue, it has to be a two-way dialogue. And that's absolutely the same here. So when a young person goes out there digitally and says, I'm here, they need to know that they've had a response back and there's lots of ways of doing that. Um, it's a way also of just kind of saying, you know, we know you're there. In the, phys you know, in the physical world, I come in and I probably smiled nervously when I kind of stood up and I saw a few people at least smiling back. That's a way in our physical world of someone going, all right, I know you're there, I've got you, I'm on your side. And in the digital world, children need that same affirmation. Very simple, but it needs to happen. Um, one of the other things, if you take it a little bit further, it's not only about affirming that you know those people are there, it's actually about going further and inviting them in and saying, we accept you, join us. That might be a brand, it might be a group of followers, it might be a community online, whatever it is. But the next stage is for you to actually kind of engage with them and invite them in. 
we had lots of nice examples that you can kind of look at later on um, of where people kind of stepped a bit further and tried to kind of break into new kind of groups online, got accepted and invited in, but they go to that next level. And the point is, this is just, again, this is really normal human stuff. You know, we are all hardwired to want to be part of communities. In the real world, we naturally gravitate back towards groups. We want to have a sense of belonging. You know, put a bunch of kids in a field and put a, I don't know, like a fence around them, a perimeter. They will kind of dart around inside that perimeter and they'll play all over the place take that perimeter away they will still kind of stay together because you will need need intrinsically to be part of something and it's no different online for all this cleverness about all the platforms we need to feel we belong and we need to make sure we're doing that for young people so it's fundamental uh, we need to kind of affirm that we know that they're there. We need to show that we value the fact they are part of that digital landscape with us. And as I say, it's really important. These are basic human emotional needs that we need to acknowledge are important in the context of digital identity. The next thing that we heard and they told us about is the importance of taking risks with their digital identities. Um, again, we're, like, we're hardwired. Neurologically, we are hardwired to want to always progress, to do better, to learn more. It's how we survive and progress as human beings. And part of that is taking risks. Also, if you go into any school context, you see that loads of people talk about risk-taking. In a lot of classrooms, there'll be a riskometer, you know, and little kiddies have to put their little face on whether they're taking risks today or not. Um, loads of kiddies we spoke to, like eight, are talking about having a really positive growth mindset today. Because they know that growth mindset is a really good thing. Um, you know, but they are literally being brought up in a world where they know that taking risks is important. I don't think I grew up with that knowledge. I'm risk-adverse. But they are not. Um, and taking risks is a really important thing that they want to do with their digital identities. Um, essentially, it's about moving out of comfort zones. Um, and there's so much these guys were speaking about as well that I kind of think it, it chimes, and you can see it all over the place. But it's young people being brave with their digital identities. You know, girls saying, you know, actually, a year or two ago, I'd never have posted anything where I wasn't you know, looking pretty perfect. But now they're going out of that. They're pushing out of that comfort zone. And they're, they're posting Instagram photos of themselves without makeup with a stupid face and looking a bit ugly and whatever else in their terms. They're taking risks with their visual identity. They're taking risks with what they say online. So again, they might have started off only ever posting stuff that they think their mates will kind of agree with, you know, but then actually, no, they're getting braver and they start taking risks with their digital identity. And most of the time it works out and it feels good to take risks because you build and you grow. So all good stuff. And again, all very core. Interesting, so we got Zoella up here as well, um, but absolutely in agreement with these guys from Discovery in the sense that when we ask people who are the, which online identities do you admire in others, the kind of people they kind of picked out, check these people out when you've got a chance because they're all really kind of cool, are people who are authentic, who show that they take risks, they mess up, they get things wrong. They are clearly quite a lot of them kind of good looking as well, unfortunately. They're all kind of stereotypically kind of attractive. But they are also people who just give it a go, take risks, get it wrong, get it right. But they keep on going. And those people are successful and those are the people they admire. So the really big theme is this authenticity. Again, we heard about that at the um, keynote as well. But authenticity, and as the Discovery guys mentioned as well, is really, really important. They admire it and they want to emulate it. Um, one of them, check this out, um, uh, mentioned an ad. It's a Michael Jordan ad for Nike, which literally does nothing other than celebrate failure. That's all it does. Because failure leads to trying again, which leads to eventually getting it right, which leads to success. And I think, how cool, you know, five, ten years ago, that would not be something celebrated in an ad by Nike and by Michael Jordan. But that is what it is all about at the moment, risk-taking as a means of progressing. Um, so very important to encourage and um, enable young people to take risks. 
in the interest of time, I will not dwell. Um, the last one is the kind of almost the pinnacle, the culmination of this is this kind of the creative space. And two things to say about this is one, the creative space that people can reach with their digital identity is a great space for us as marketeers to be able to look in on because there is some amazing stuff that they create. You know, there's amazing thinking, there's amazing content they can contribute to whether it's, I don't know, creative development or thinking brilliantly. It's an amazing space in itself. But importantly, it is a space that makes young people feel great. When young people are enabled to be creative fully, it's really, really life-affirming. It's stuff we need to be doing. The kind of stuff they were talking about, again, similar in theme to the other guys, is this notion of kind of moving from just consuming stuff online to actually creating stuff online. Um, there's lots of examples of that where people go from just kind of consuming to actually starting to create their own thing, and it really gives them a great sense of self-worth. It enables them to be brave and to produce stuff. Um, something we didn't put on here, because we only heard it yesterday, but from the keynote speech, I think it was interesting in the sense that... Um, the guys from Vsauce were saying how you can actually share other people's creations online and by doing that you are in some way building up your own identity. So clearly I did that yesterday to try and make myself look better by sharing <laughs> his content. But I think it's also, it's not only creating your own content but it's by sharing other content you build this greater sense of who you are and your digital identity. Really, really important things to foster. Um, a couple of quick insights from the kind of educational sphere are that um, creativity, creativity really needs support and we can all do this in different ways regardless of whether we're a brand or an organisation, a charity or whatever else. But for kids to be truly creative, if they are supported, if there is co-creation happening, peer evaluation if we're talking in the context of education, that's when creativity can become amazing. Check out Austin's Butterfly when you have a chance. Um, basically the tale of a little five-year-old kitty who was asked to draw a butterfly and when he was doing it on his own it was a you know, pretty mediocre butterfly, you know, so it was alright but it wasn't fantastic. Through process of peer evaluation, of co-creation, of mentoring by teachers, peers kind of suggesting what he should and shouldn't do, he did a cracking butterfly by the end of it. He still drew it. No one helped him. Helped him. But it's the point that creativity, when it's part of a co-creative kind of process, gets to really amazing spaces. And we want to kind of hopefully help all kids create um, cracking butterflies, as it were. Um, and check out when you have time as well. Um, U Media is an interesting one, as in it is it's, it's a it's a sort of conglomeration of libraries in Chicago. But again, it's something that is very big in the educational sphere, and is a really nice example of um, basically creating a digital and physical space that encourages children to kind of co-create not only with mentors but with their peers and they are creating amazing things in terms of output but it is also creating a wonderful wave of sort of positivity for them and those that are involved but just a nice little example so just about in time I think Herman I'm just wrapping up so what we've got here is key the, these things are really key and they're really fundamental human needs as I say for all the talk of very clever platforms and whatever else what's driving young people's engagement in terms of their digital identity are very natural human core needs as it were but one of our questions was how important is this to young people so just before I hand over to Herman what we're going to go through now is exploring what the impact of this digital identity is just so you know where we're going with this is we wondered okay so all these things are all very interesting etc etc but do they actually really mean anything is it all going to change you know how fundamental is children's digital identity to who they think they are and the reason we think that's important is because actually you know if it's really really important if one child if we're I don't know if we're talking to say Josh who's 12 we're creating content for him or we're engaging with him you know what if Josh who's 12 is fundamentally a different person offline than he is online because if he is, then we need to be talking to him differently offline than we do online. And we need to kind of, he's going to have different needs online versus offline. 
Em's going to tell you about sort of whether people think they're different online and offline and whether those identities are different, but we kind of explored it with neuroscience and, and found out some interesting stuff. So, so yeah, what neuroscience offers is uh, an insight into the unconscious, and it's also a way of directly measuring behaviour. So qualitative research is really important, and we've seen some of the great insights from the discovery people and also Sonia. Um, but often people don't behave in ways that they say they do or think they do. So neuroscience offers, offers this way into analysing people's behaviour more directly, and it's a, a nice complement to the more traditional qualitative approach. So if you ask people uh, qualitatively, like we did, uh, do they think they're different people online versus offline? 60% of them said no. So this is at a conscious level. But the question is whether we can use neuroscience uh, to find uh, a deeper level of differences that people weren't aware of in the first place. Uh, so we, we ran two experiments on this particular project. And the first one was looking at this uh, question of, of whether people differ in their personalities. And we did this by using a very standard uh, questionnaire from uh, experimental psychology. And this measures personality. So it, it analyzes uh, this very uh, well-known um, series of five personality traits known as the big five. These are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And these are known to be uh, very robust, so you're typically born with them, and they're, they're, sort of, they're maintained across the lifespan. And you can run these questionnaires again and again with people with slightly different questions, and you generally get the same results. But we wanted to apply it in a quite novel way, because we didn't want to assume that people have just one self, like it's just one thing inside you. There's very good uh, reason to think that we, we might have multiple selves and we're different people in different circumstances. Uh, so two types of uh, self that we might have is our digital self and our physical self. So what we did is we took this questionnaire, we gave it to people in person to fill out, which is the traditional way to do it, and then we gave them practically the same questionnaire and we gave it to them online as well. So the idea was we stimulate their physical self, in, their in-person self, and they could complete the questionnaire, then we stimulate their digital self and get them to do the same thing. And if we find differences, it might be interesting to look at what those differences are and uh, maybe find out a lot about our digital identity. So what do we find? So I'm going to give you a spoiler now, which is that, yes, there are differences. Okay? Um, but at this stage, it's important to think about uh, the fact that earlier people at a conscious level were saying, uh, no, we don't differ. So when you do get to this uh, lower level, as you can do with neuroscience, then you start to pick up certain differences and you can analyze them. Uh, so just to go into the specifics. So this graph is showing you the five personality traits. Uh, each of them has, it, has their own line. And along the horizontal axis on that graph, the x-axis, you see how long people spend daily on social networks. And these were uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And eight hours is a long time, actually, but people were reporting spending this, this amount of time online every day. And along the other axis, the vertical one, what you have is how strong each of those traits is in your digital identity versus your physical identity. So if it's a flat line, that basically just means there's no difference between the two. You're the same person online and offline, no matter how long you spend online. But if there's a slope to it, then you're finding a difference. So if you look, there's a positive slope with extroversion. Um, what that means is that people uh, become more confident and more extroverted with their digital selves than their physical selves as they spend more time online. So uh, this actually, on an, even on an intuitive level for me, makes sense. So this is something I predicted because you know, as a younger person, I was really shy in person. I'd say nothing, but then on MSN Messenger or whatever I was using back then, I was much more talkative. Um, so this kind of this was this was nice. And in fact, 40, the forty percent of people who, uh, when we asked them consciously, reported being maybe slightly different 
almost all of them were referring to this confidence thing. They were saying, I'm more extroverted, I'm a little bit more crazy online. So that was nice to find. Um, but you've also got some ne negative slopes. So neuroticism, people are less neurotic in their digital selves than their physical selves as they spend more time online. So this basically means they're less emotionally unstable. So they feel more just, just more comfortable, they're less anxious, they're just much happier in, the, in this digital world where they can express their digital self. And this might have something to do with the fact that you don't have your physical identity open to people. So it's not based on appearance anymore, which is nice. Um, and conscientiousness was a surprising one. So people are less conscientious online versus offline. Um, and this might just be because it's less important to be conscientious. So there are fewer rules on the internet to follow and you don't have to be so disciplined. And that might be why, why this is coming out. But basically the important thing is just that the more time you spend online, the bigger the disparity becomes between your digital self and your physical self. These aren't the same thing. They do seem to differ in these uh, interesting ways. Um, and we are spending more of our time online. So we're effectively moving our lives into the digital world now. And actually there's some really cool evidence showing that even, our, even the way our memories are structured and the way they're organized is changing as we spend more time online uh, in, in a way that basically yeah, you won't, you might not, so you don't remember the content of information, but you remember where you can find it. So people tend to not remember that uh, an ostrich's eye is bigger than its brain, but they remember, oh, I can find that on Google. So we remember where information is, but not, uh, we, we're less effective remembering what it is. Uh, so what we need to do is have approaches that can target these different selves. So just as, as an example, if you're a marketer or a content developer and you're interested in um, uh, what should we focus on with people, what kind of emotions should we target if we're dealing with their physical selves, then you might not want to focus too much on confidence because people have less of that in their, with their physical self. Whereas if you're dealing with an online identity, that might be a much more effective way to progress. So that's just an example, but lots of these insights can come out of these kinds of neuroscientific methods. So there was one other variable that I looked at, which is uh, not how long you spend online, but how many followers you have. So we, we also asked people how many followers do you have on Instagram, Twitter, blah, blah, blah. And I'm plotting exactly the same graph, but this time it's just how many followers on the bottom axis. And you find that this one thing that pops out here is openness. So people become less open in their personality uh, as they gain more followers on these social networks. So they become less imaginative and less risk-taking, which I found a bit counterintuitive. It seems a bit bizarre that that should happen, uh, but it kind of harks back to what uh, Sonia was saying about you know, risk-taking and creativity are important when you're trying to gain followers and you're developing an ident identity. But once you have this big follower base, it might be more sensible to not take risks because then you risk losing them. Right? Mm -hmm. So you become, so you sort of stick to your niche that you've developed and not take risks. And I'm not saying this is a, a bad thing necessarily, it could be a good thing, uh, but the point is we need to think about it. And if, you do, if, it, if you're trying to foster creativity and you're trying to foster imagination, then what you want to do is create uh, a smaller space. So, and you want to take the focus off of uh, gain as many followers as you can to be successful online because that's a way to you know, reduce that, those, those things that you're interested in. So these are just ways you can uh, use the data to inform real world uh, uh, practical interventions. Um, so that data shows that we, we have a, our digital identity is different to our physical identity, but we don't know much about how deep that digital identity really goes. So are people just entering a new mode when they're on the computer, which is just some superficial thing? Uh, or is it a really deep part of us? Is it like entering our unconscious in a way? So we wanted to study that with this uh, experiment. Um, and this uses something called unconscious priming. And what this aims to do is present information to you 
uh, unconsciously, so you can't actually register it, but it can still affect your behavior. So as we walk around in our everyday lives, most of the information we're presented with is totally unconscious. We never become aware of it, but it still affects how we behave. So lots of people are kind of sitting, twiddling their thumbs or playing with their hair, and you're not necessarily aware of that happening. It's just something that you're, you're doing, right? It's just you're not aware of it. It just happens. And that's the kind of world we want to get into because it's such a big part of us. Um, so we're interested in, in using uh, these priming signals uh, associated with digital identity and physical identity and compare the effects they have on you and how you behave. So bear with me as I explain this, and if it's not clear, please stop me. But basically, we just flash uh, a word on the screen very, very fast, so it's on a scale of you know, tens, a few tens of milliseconds. Um, and if you ask people, what did you just see on the screen, they say, oh, I just saw a flash or a random stream of letters. But actually, under that random stream of letters, we had these words popping up. And there are three types of word we presented to people. One of them were digital primes. So this could be the word Facebook or the word Instagram. Uh, another group of physical identity primes. So this could be gender or ethnicity, if that's your physical self. And the other ones were just neutral. So we wanted a kind of baseline, and that's just presenting the word neutral. And what we did was, was each time we presented these primes, we asked people a very boring question, which was very repetitive, but it, it was supposed to be. And what it is is, uh, how much does this color on the screen relate to you as a person right now? So we're trying to bring out their sense of self and measure how relevant they think their sense of self is at that moment, depending on what, they pr what we previously presented to them. Does that make sense? So the idea is if we ask people, oh, how do you feel about the color red right now? And, and we had a neutral prime before that, they might say, oh, it doesn't, re I don't, doesn't really relate to me. I don't like it so much. But if we present that same color, ask them the same question, and present a physical identity prime like ethnicity, that we might stimulate their sense of self for them to think, oh, actually, yeah, this, kind of, this really relates to me now, actually. And then uh, that's so we're just measuring the sense of self by using these different primes, and we can compare how strong they are as an idea about which identity is strongest and how they kind of uh, measure up against each other. So the results look like this. So what you have, uh, again, you have, similar to the previous graph, how, how long people spend online. Uh, but this time is the strength of each identity. And strength just means how well these primes did in actually affecting you and changing your behavior and changing how much you rate these colors as relating to you. Uh, so physical, the physical line is quite flat, which basically means that the more time you spend online, uh, it doesn't make a difference to your physical identity. And that kind of makes sense. What it, there's no reason that it should. So you're the same person physically, no matter how much you use uh, the internet. But the digital primes were having this quite uh, interesting effect where as you spend more time online, these digital primes become much more effective in changing you unconsciously and affecting how you behave. So if you spent seven and over hours online, actually, then you see the line start to cross over, which is probably the most uh, exciting thing that I, I could find, which is that uh, dig your digital identity might even be overtaking your physical identity as being a primary driving force in your character. So the people's digital identity are more, is more important to them than their physical identity. And physical identi identity is something we're born with and we, you know, we carry it around with us everywhere. So I find it really nice and surprising that digital identity can overtake it as this primary driving force. Um, and again, it, it suggests that this digital identity goes very deep. It's not just something superficial that we kind of switch on and, and switch off. Uh, we start being affected by it uh, very directly and in unconscious ways. So I'll leave it to Sonia to summarize. So where this leaves us is, um, first of all, as I say, just to go back to what we found out qualitatively, is that, I say, as I say, despite all of the, the technology and the platforms, etc., in, in regard to the digital landscape, there are very human 
base kind of emotions that are driving young people's um, interactions and behaviours in the, in the digital context. We mustn't forget those. We mustn't forget to acknowledge those and engage with those. But as Ehrman said, digital identity is clearly impacting on personalities, creating divergent personalities in the young people we are trying to engage with. That is a fact, it seems, and we need to understand that and think how does that impact on how we engage, what we say to them, our tone of voice or whatever. But they do seem to have definitely different personalities online versus online at quite a fundamental level. And then really important, as Erwin said, the reality is lives are going to move online more, there is no doubt about that, and we are already seeing digital identity overtaking physical identity in terms of the driving force in, in young people's sense of who they are. So if that's the case, in five years' time, which identity should we be talking to? Are we talking to their digital identity? Are we talking to their physical identity? I don't know, but I just know it's something we need to think about. And that's kind of just what we wanted to bring to life, is it's our job to work out what does this all mean? Because the reality is those two personalities are going the way that they are going. So we now need to think, how does that impact on what we do and how we speak to those young people? And that is it. sounds absolutely terrifying actually it sounds like mm. we're sort of breeding a whole whole army of schizophrenic people you know um i think it's uh, one of the most alarming uh, bits of information i've ever ever listened to actually which part is that which part specifically the, well, the fact is that you don't know if uh, if your child is is uh, you're talking to the digital child mm. or or the the human child and you seem to feel that uh, the, the digital is it's exciting when the digital takes over mm -hmm. the normal child yeah. uh, I wondered why you thought it was exciting yeah. um, it seems uh, a terrible thought to me but uh, yeah, so I think of my yeah. grandchildren I won't know who I'm talking to yeah. <laughs> yeah so I'm not I'm not so pessimistic or scared by it because you know things change all the time and I'm, I'm kind of making this dichotomy between two cells but they're still us right no matter what it is it's still us mm. so we're still the digital self is still us. It's just we're interacting in this completely new domain that's new to us. So when you know when literature was invented, we have our self develops very quickly, right? So you start suddenly start reading novels and books, and you enter this completely new world. And people were terrified of that too when it happened. But it's not all that scary. And in fact, we develop in ways uh, that often we can't anticipate, but usually we develop for the better. And I personally think digital identity isn't isn't a scary thing. It's just a new part of us that's developing, and we should make the most of it. I have to say as well, I, what I actually found, because I, I have a natural aversion to digital, it's, kind of just, it's, I just, it's just not something I, I, you know, really kind of buy into personally, but I found it actually really heartwarming to kind of understand that, you know, what's driving all that digital interaction and behaviour is still really important, you know, full of value stuff, it's really core human needs and wants, and actually all we've got to do is just cope with that digital context to carry on feeding young people in really positive ways, you know, they are still the same young people, they still have needs that are about belonging and feeling self-worth and, and really great amazing things we just need to understand how to do that in the digital context but I know what you mean it is a bit like whoa it's a bit kind of yeah yes. but it is what it is yeah. Yeah. basically I feel digital isn't, isn't less human I don't think the two go together for me personally anyway because you know we're still being just as social online in fact maybe even more social uh, so we still have all these tr human traits that we're fulfilling we're just fulfilling them in this completely new medium mm. that we've you know, very recently come across but it'd be interesting to see how it all develops in the future as well I just have one question. You were, you were saying which are we going to look more at, the digital or the or the real? 
But the reality is the digital life leaves a data trail, it, it's never erased. So for, it's lazy and easy to look at the digital because actually looking at the real person is really hard and complicated, especially yeah. with kids. So we're going to be seduced into the looking at the digital because we get such a, we think we get a rich picture of data, but of course it's not as rich yeah. as what's going on in someone's head, but we're getting seduced. It's like, so working in, in radio, uh, radio producers don't get overnight figures, they get quarterly yeah, figures yeah. every quarter of the year. So they get seduced into looking at Twitter because they think it's an instant picture of their audience, mm. but it's an instant picture of 10% of their audience. So I was wondering, you know, are we going to just get seduced into the digital, to looking at digital personality, because it's easy? Yeah, I, d I don't think, I, it, uh, I mean, purely because the, the remit and what we wanted to explore was digital identity, yeah. so clearly we've just done that. But I think you're absolutely right. But I think what's kind of, what makes me feel a bit like, whoa, kind of confused, is the fact that they are so different. Because you're right, you can't, you cannot exclude the physical identity and everything that comes, because that is where the real richness is, is probably lies. So, but I think what's really interesting is to think, well, but if they are so divergent, and the reality is we are going to try and engage with people in these kind of digital contexts, like, it's, it's just something I think we've got to face up to and think, well, how are we going to relate? But I think you're right. There's no way that that should, even though it's becoming more of the driving force in, in their sense of self, we can't therefore switch to only communicating and engaging with them in that kind of, that sphere. It's kind of one of those presentations that raises more questions than it answers, <laughs> possibly, which wasn't kind of the intention, but it was just a, a thought piece. And yeah, I think that's a really relevant question. And I agree that the digital self is more of a snapshot than our real self. Um, and people can choose what they want to you know, broadcast to people. But again, I don't, I'm not sure that's, is that about, I mean, we all want to do oh, that in the real world too. We present ourselves in the real world. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the point is, it's a little bit, it's well, just. schizophrenia, what, we had, we had a school, when we grew up, we had a school self, you behave in school, you had a home self, and yeah. you had your mates in the park self, and they were all slightly yeah. different. I think that's what I like, the fact that if at least we know there are different selves, and to me, I didn't know they were kind of different in this way. That's cool, we know, we know, now we'll deal with it, do you know what I mean? It's, like, it, it's, it's just what happens, but knowing is, um, yeah, knowledge is power. Okay, so. and one thing I should say, just to, to make it less scary, so with, with these personality things, when we measure them digital and, on, uh, and uh, physical, when you look at the correlations, you find these interesting differences, but if you look at the, just the overall patterns with no correlations, so you just look at someone's personality online, someone's personality offline in the real world, they're very, very similar. So overall, these personalities are similar. You're not just transformed into a completely new yeah. person. So you're still the same person uh, in that sense, but you just have these subtleties where you, you become more confident or you become you know, less, less worried and less neurotic. So there are just these subtle differences which aren't always a bad thing. Um, thank you very much. It's a very, very interesting presentation. Um, it's more of a continuation of the previous question, which is, did you look at much of the, the nuances within the digital identity? So for example, Instagram is seen as quite a public-facing uh, service. Facebook was seen as like the public-facing, so a lot of teenagers kind of fled and went to WhatsApp, like the benefit of WhatsApp being it's a controlled group where you just speak to your friends. Same with things like Snapchat, it's very more personalized. Was there any kind of findings within that? Uh, within the neuroscience side, no. So we were looking at this kind of, you know, neuroscience has this tendency to look at global things right, and try to find universals for people. But it'd be really interesting to try and look separately at those primes that we have, so Facebook versus Instagram, and mm. see if there are differences there. But we haven't tried that, it's a good question. But that's the brief we're waiting for, <laughs> when it's not <laughs> self-funded, so if anyone wants that, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I, I noticed was about the openness, we've seen about it going negative. Mm -hmm. the, you know, the, um, the, the reduction in uh, neuroticism is great, yeah. and increased confidence mm -hmm. is great, but reduction in openness, openness. Yeah. Mm. Is not so great, is yeah. it? So, 
what I think that's an interesting thing that's thrown up. That that to me would be the one thing that to yes. explore to see what's driving that. Uh, can is yeah. that inexorable or? So if openness, I always find a really interesting word because it's it's huge. Like it's such a big word, and you, you and we have traits that are to within openness. You have creativity and imagination, and those are good things. You don't necessarily want to lose those, like you say. Yeah. Uh, but then you have stuff like risk taking, and risk taking isn't isn't always a good thing. Right? Sometimes it's good to you know, mellow down a bit. So and again, you see, like, so when people have these followers, lots of followers, they just perceive that it might be dysfunctional to to be still taking risks. So again, people are just sort of adapting to these new settings that they face, and it's not necessarily that they they lose their imagination forever. It's just that the environment that they're now in is different, and they want to restrict what they're creating and restrict this kind of completely new, these new risks that they're taking so that they maintain yeah. this high follower base that makes them happy. But to the point as well, if it is negative and it is, if there is something there that is indicating that it's impacting on their ability to be open, then that's what we've got to write, you know, that's the challenge we need to face because, you, you know, we can't, we can't let that carry on because that's not that's good. Not good. No, you know, no, so no. people, we need to understand how can we create a, an environment, a forum where people can, yeah. young so people is, can is be open and express about it. creating a, a smaller exactly. environment. You'd imagine that's, so, that's yeah. That's Seems yeah. to be the one that's message. less focused yeah. on gaining followers. So the key success yeah. signal at yeah. the moment for online yeah. identity is have lots of followers. If you yeah. remove that as a success signal, then you might foster this yeah. more healthy environment. Thanks. We have to stop there. Yeah.